Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Lanides, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us for today's show. On the episode today, we have got George Santiago, UFC veteran, Sangoku middleweight champion, and the winner of the Strike Force One Night Four Men Enter One Man Survives middleweight tournament that we discussed on last week's episode. We have a great chat. It's really, really in-depth. We get into George's preparation for that one-night tournament, and that kind of actually evolves into more of a conversation about the, the psyche and the mentality of a fighter, how they deal with losing, how they deal with uh, uh, kind of marketing themselves, developing a personality, and 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 how to, you know again, kind of market themselves through that, the pressures that come along with that. So it's a really, really interesting discussion that I think you're going to enjoy. I did want to mention we had some audio issues. I did my best to kind of edit those out, but you will hear will hear a little bit of an echo here and there. Also, there's some cussing, so I, I bleep those out for the, our listeners that don't like that. Uh, but it, it's a really great conversation. I don't think any of that will take away from the content, which is the, the most important part. So I hope that you will enjoy it. But without further ado, let's get to it. All right, on the line with us, we have longtime UFC Sengoku Strikeforce veteran, a, a great coach, a, a great fighter, George Santiago. Thanks for joining us on, on the show today. Thank you, Phil. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, it's a, it's an honor. To, yeah, it's an honor to have you. Uh, I, I want to. So let's jump right in. I want to go over just a little bit of your early career before we get into what we really want to talk about, which is the uh, the one night strike force tournament that you won. Um, so your, your early career, you, you had a, a, your first UFC run, but before that, you debuted in MMA in in 2002. You fought in some regional promotions such as King of the Cage. You got a put together an 11 and 5 record, fought some really tough fighters, including Joey Villasenor, Manny Gamburian, Derek Noble, and Diego Sanchez. Then you make your UFC de- debut, you knock out Justin Levins, but then deal with some uh, difficult losses to Chris Lieben and Alan Belcher. Uh, what did you feel like you learned from your your first run in the UFC? I mean, a big jump into you know the really the the big time from some of these regional promotions. What, what did you feel like you learned from your time uh, the first time around? Man, I, I'm still feeling like I'm learning uh, through the years. Uh, I mean, obviously when we started, I was young and. Uh, I came from a small town in Brazil and came all made all the way to here to America. I had opportunity to come here and start being a professional fighter. And uh, from what my experience I was like, everything was so new to me. And uh, I was just a talent kid. Uh, my professor, that's how he he always saw me uh, growing up as a fighter, as a jiu-jitsu uh, practitioner. And uh, and the first. First, first few fights it was just going with the flow, enjoying the American life, enjoying the dream, and until it hit me hard with the reality, and uh, and I had to work to 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 get back in the game, and that's and that's what it was, you know. Uh, I was just having fun. I wasn't training professionally the way I supposed to be training, and after the the the, the loss in UFC, for uh, I think it was Alan Boucher. It clicked a lot of things in my life. Even I had my first uh, my first daughter. My life, my my wife was pregnant by that time. Then I made a choice to be a professional, take everything seriously, and uh, I'm glad I bounced it back and I had a good run. Well, there's no doubt that uh, that type of experience, especially having a daughter, that'll <laughs> that'll that'll straighten you up real quick, uh, make you get real serious. Well, 
After leaving the UFC, you get a couple of very solid wins over Andre Semenov and Jeremy Horn, uh, and then you get a, an invitation to a one-night middleweight tournament in Strikeforce. So let's let's talk about that and dive into that. What was it like preparing physically for a one-night tournament where if it goes well, you fight twice? Is it just double cardio? What, what do you do from a physical standpoint? And especially, and we'll get into this in a second, you, you didn't know who your, your first-round opponent was going to be. You didn't know who you would end up fighting. So how did you prepare physically for the potential for two fights? Uh, just Is it a lot of extra cardio or is there something else to it? To be very honest, I, yeah, you said it. I didn't know who was, who was going to fight. And plus, uh, at the backstage, they changed my opponent. That's uh, right, something people right, didn't know about it. Too. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I was I was coming from the camp, which was when I fought in Russia, the Bulldog fight. Uh, the organization had a USA against a Russia. I fought in a card with a lot of good fighters and Emilianenko uh, Fedor. Uh, we made this trip together with Eddie Alvarez. And, um, I mean, that was the point I had to change my life, being a professional. And the, and the first time, I didn't care about who was going to fight. I understood they brought me into Russia to lose. So I didn't give a f- And uh, I did everything I was supposed to do to win the fight. And right after, I had the opportunity to fight this uh, the, the four-man tournament. I had no idea. I didn't change anything. And matter of fact, I was I was about to walk out, and uh, I was doing uh, defending high kicks. That's funny because I was defending high kicks because I was supposed to fight a uh, uh, Yuki Sasaki. Yeah, Yuki Sasaki, right? Yeah, I was I was doing a different game plan, and uh, and some guy came in for the uh, the, uh, the doing someone corner came in like he said, "Look, why are you defending kick? He's gonna shoot your legs." I was like. What are you talking about? They changed. So Benji, Benji Raddick, uh, I don't yeah, know. Benji Raddick. Yeah. yeah. So he was me with coach, coaching me together that night. He looked at me. I look at his face. I was like, I think we saw each other's eyes. And he was like, okay, who gives a right? So let's do fly knee. <laughs> and that's what it was. And I, honestly, I was hoping to, to win the fight as fast as I could because I, I don't want to stay 10 minutes and come back and do 10 more. And... That was, you know, uh, I just followed the the plan that I had my high, in my in my head. I saw the guy ducking, and I just flew for the high knee and and, and connected, you know. So, so, so it wasn't so much that I, I got to get a lot of extra cardio, and it was trained to finish the fight as the first fight, especially as quickly as possible, so you can get to the second fight. Actually, yeah, I was saving more energy for the second fight, not making too much mistake, not getting hurt. Uh, that was something that I, I, I had in my mind, but as soon as I stepped on the cage, I was like, I don't, it doesn't matter. It's a fight, it's a fight. It, either I'm going to lose or, or win in 10 minutes. So that I, I'm assuming, I'm always thinking of like, I should finish this fight as fast as I can so I can get fresh for the next one. So there's nothing you can do. It's more mental than anything, I think, you know. It's okay. we we're training. We do camps. We do. We all ready to fight. Twenty five minutes in line. Everybody, you know, if a professional fighter used to be, you're supposed to be ready to fight twenty five minutes. That's your goal, being a champion uh, of the weight division. So, it was. It's more mentally than uh, than anything else. Okay, and that's a great segue because I did want to talk about 
training f- for for a turn again a, a, you know who the combatants are going to be although like you said one of them ended up getting switched out which we'll get to but from a mental perspective not knowing who you're going to fight until you know the weigh-ins in your camp I, I assume that you just you know what what a lot of fighters say is like i just train my game i don't worry about my opponent i, I assume that's what you end up having to do or, or is there is there something different I, uh, in my in my opinion, all, all fighters supposed to do that. Train your game, train your best, but you gotta train everything. You can't train as uh, just what you like to train. You know, you're gonna have to make some sacrifice and make some extra hours, but that's what it takes. You know, you wanna be the best of the best. You wanna be the champion, right? You're gonna have to train, and that's what I what I see from the most guys that are on the top of the chain. They do. They they never go out of their game. They always try to push their in their qualities a little bit higher the standards they have. But they have. We have to train for everything. We need to know a little bit at least for ground, at least a little bit for takedown wrestling, you know, and 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 kickboxing, striking, and uh, that's no other way. You know, you you never know. You know, you you two fights of your. You two fights of the title or finish your career. You know, all fighters know that. You know, if you lose two fights, you're out. If you win two fights, maybe you get a title shot. And that's the worst thing, not being ready for opportunity when it comes, you know? Yeah, I, I, I don't, this is totally, and I'm, you know, not a fighter or anything like that. But one of the things that would, I think would drive me crazy is that, you know, it, it, obviously pro wrestling is, you know, scripted and all that stuff, totally different, but you're working, you know, three, four nights a week when there's not a pandemic going on, uh, you know, with fighting with, whether it's boxing or it's kickboxing or it's MMA, you, you know, if you're busy, you're fighting three, three times a year. And so if you lose one of those, it's going to be a few months before you get back in the cage. And, you know, I'm sure that gnaws at you and you think, uh, how far did I set back my career and all that stuff. So I, I, this isn't part of my, you know, my, my questions, but how do you kind of, how do you deal with that? Knowing, man, I just lost one and you just got to get back in there as quickly as possible to try to get that back. Like, how do you deal with that from a mental perspective? It's, it's, it's tough. You know, I, I, that's one of the, my biggest challenge when I was a fighter. You know, because uh, if you if you started when I started watching fights and I was a big fan of uh, Japanese uh, MMA and uh, that was my dream come to going to to US to to Japan and fight. And no matter what, they they recognize uh, the fighter, you know, as a as a professional, as a way of living. And if you fight, you give everything, you come back. But. The way it is right now is about you know if you're boring you know bring it back if you don't if you don't deliver the service you won't be called again you know but it, it's a tough it's a tough it's a tough thing you if you if you decide to be in for long term no matter what you need you need to win you gotta you 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 need to have a character to sell it of course but uh, it's always tough. And I see a lot of fighters getting locked on that conception. You know, they some they worry so much about being the character. It will it will sell it, make it make it more money, right. and forgetting about training, getting stuck on that on that person. And some others just leaving for when they need to win, no matter what. Every day, every session, every practice, every fight, no matter what. And it's sad because 
the way they treat the fighters right now, it's kind of the way it is. You know, there's so many competitions, so many people wants to fight. If you don't win, you lose, you you out. Right. But you know what I mean? Yeah. You gotta do what yeah. you gotta do, right? It's a yeah. it's a tough it's a tough situation now for the sport. Uh, I'm I'm very sad the way it's taking the, the where it's where it's taking everybody being someone else they're not not um, meant to be and even more I think it's it's narrow the the chances for the for the person and uh, when I, I had a chance to be a head coach from Black Zealand and I saw that and speaking with the with the management speaking the UFC. Uh, Joe Silva himself, what they want is not what we used to be. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. We want to win fights. You, we want to be the best. No. Now you need to look good. Now you need to speak good English. You need to be, you have need to have a lot of followers, you right. know, and you have to win the fight in the best way you can. You right. need to impress. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not. I was ta I was talking to a neighbor um, who is not as big of a, an MMA fan as he used to be, and he said part of it is because he feels like guys don't guys fight more defensively than they used to because they know that if they lose, I mean, you get cut after one loss, and and so they worry about that. But you also, like you said, you have to have the marketability for that. You have to have the personality. If you can talk a lot of smack. You know, you, you, you can get by even if you lose. I mean, just just ask Conor McGregor. You can get by even if you lose because you have that marketability, you have the followers and all that stuff, but eventually you're going to have to back it up. But if all you do is win, but you don't do it, you know, looking good or you don't have a personality or anything like that, they want the whole package if you're really going to make it to the top. And that's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure on guys. So I... You know, being an outsider, not part of it, I, I, I still can understand exactly what you mean, and that's that's a tough spot to be in, no question about it. It's that. a tough spot, a that really tough spot, and uh, and um, the pro wrestling. I, I'm a fan of pro wrestling. I, I mean, I don't follow all the fighters, but I, I like it's the way it meant to be. Everybody understands, you know, that's the way it is. You gotta be an actor. You gotta know. You need to know how to grappling, to do grappling, to do wrestling. It's it's amazing. It's just, it's a new, I think it was still a new sport and they tried to make this new category about what you're supposed to be as a fighter. Win is not everything right now, but if, you, if you're not the guy who wins every fight, you better, you better be Conor McGregor, you know, Floyd yeah. Mayweather. You gotta, you gotta back it up. You gotta talk shit, Nate Diaz, you know. And um, it's, it's, it's sad because people are getting... People, I, 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 I saw a lot of good fighters, you know, making their retirement by being forced to be someone they're not. Mm -hmm. You know, even stay away for a little bit. Anthony Johnson, you know, Rumble Johnson, he was out. He, he was, he, he last two fights with, with DC, I was there. He didn't lose because uh, DC beat him. No, DC beat him, but uh, he wasn't even there. I was doing his coach in uh, the whole camp. The first one, after the first one, I'm like, bro, I'm out. If you keep walking with people you walk and dealing with, you're dealing with it, it. It's a lot of pressure from outside to be this person, you know. And and and, and it's sad because even that I I thought some of them, if they were themselves, they would sell them more. You know what I mean? Right. Right. 
be yourself, yeah. be tug, be whatever, be from the street, do your shit, talk, smack, do you do the way you do it. Because, I mean, the best advice, man, right now, don't try, if you start being a fighter, train everything, be yourself. If it sticks, you should know right away. If you yeah. don't, don't waste your time no more. Go somewhere else. Be authentic. Be, be authentic. authentic. Be yourself. Yeah, yeah and people, people see that. People definitely see through that. If, if you know, eventually, if it's a persona and it's not based or, you know, gr- yeah, if it's not based in reality. I mean, you know, they say the best pro wrestlers are the guys that from a personality standpoint, it, that's who they are, but they've turned up the volume. That's that's the, you know, the phrase that's used. So, yeah, it, be be who you are. And and, because if not, they're going to see through that eventually. So that's why when guys talk about, you know, guys like Colby Covington and McGregor and guys like that, to me that, yeah, maybe the, the person, the, the volumes turned up, but that's essentially who they are because you can't keep it up that long. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You you know, you see guys like that. Yeah, for better or worse, it is who they are, you know. So, all right, well, let's get back to the let's get back to the Strike Force tournament. So, uh, Sean Salmon, you know, we talked about you were supposed to fight Yuki Sasaki. You find Sasaki does not get cleared, even though he weighed in, he actually didn't get cleared. He had a bad MRI uh, reading, and so he ends up not being used. And so Sean Salmon is Salmon is elevated from the alternate bout he's supposed to take on Dennis Hallman. So you find out you're going to be fighting Sean Salmon, who had been in the UFC earlier that year. Did you know anything about him as a fighter? Did you, you know, did you switch anything as far as your, your, uh, it sounds like you didn't switch anything as far as your game plan. Cause you were going to go for that flying knee and try to end things as quickly as possible. But did Sean, Sean Salmon present any sort of different obstacle or it was just full speed ahead. This is what we've trained for. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. No, I didn't change much. The only thing I, ch- I changed, I was stopping, uh, Blocking kicks that was doing the locker room. I know. I'm glad I get. I had Benji that day, man, with me that day, because we connected, and he was like, "Man, he's a wrestler. That's all you need to know." So take your time to do your thing. If you see the opportunity, take it. And and that was it, you know. And the same thing was the next one, you know. Then we won the first round. Back to the locker room. My coaches said, "Look, you're fighting Trevor Pranklin." Okay, he was he was uh, undefeated by the time, and and he told me, "Look, take your time." And uh, that was my coach, my my kickboxing coach. Take your time. He's never been knocked out. I look at Bench again, and Bench like everybody has their first day. <laughs> I was like, "That's my man. <laughs> I'm going with you." <laughs> that was my night, I think. Okay. Well, let's get back to the salmon fight before we get to Prangley. But what ended up occurring was it was very effective, but a weird looking, really more of a flying shin to the neck. I mean, at first it looked like a knee, but on replay, it looked like the knee missed by like a millimeter. And then the, the shin connects to really more of his neck. And I remember Frank Shamrock on commentary was talking about uh, like basically it was like his brain shut itself down to protect his body or something like that. But it was it was really weird looking and and kind of I don't know like the way that Salmon responded to it. Obviously, I mean we'll we'll get to it in just a second. You know, we ended up on a stretcher and all that stuff. But what do you remember about the end of that match? What what do you remember about the the knee? Did you feel like you connected with the knee? What do you think it was more of the shin? Like what what's your what's your take on that? To be honest, I thought it was a knee after I watched the replay. I saw it was a shin and. He was standing still. I spin around when I landed the knee, the fly knee. And I saw him going down. And I 
I follow up with the punch, and right after I saw he was out already. Yeah. But honestly, I thought I thought it was the knee. I thought it was the knee. Then then I later I saw it was the shin, but it, it, okay. It, it's it sucks. Like knee, you can't block it. You know, it's too much. It, there's no way of block. You can't block a kick, but a knee, everything it connects. It, it, it's too much power coming yeah. coming forward. Yeah. Well, it was it was you know spectacular regardless of how you looked at it. But as we said, Salmon ends up getting taken out on a stretcher. That's you know I, that's a weird that's got to be a weird spot for a fighter. I mean, you just won in this amazing crowd pleasing way, and you know big reaction, and for you you know Bigfoot's on the outside of the cage, excited and all that stuff. But then you're looking at your opponent, and and he's in really bad shape, surrounded by doctors. He tries to get up and ends up you know, going back down and they have to take him out on a stretch stretcher. Take us back to, to that moment. What did you, what did you feel? What do you remember thinking in the cages? Again, you're kind of celebrating, but at the same time, you, as a human being, you got to be worried about the guy you just knocked out. You know, I celebrated so, so much. Cause I felt, man, I connect to flying him my first one and this and that. And I looked the guy and time and time was taking more time for him to get up. I'm like, what the is going on? And I, I remember going to the backstage and even trying to, to see him. And they were like, no, you can't see him. He's already out. They, they brought him to the hospital. It was, it was suck. You know, my coach was, my striking coach was like, bro, uh, he in the hospital. He's going to be fine. You know, get back to the fight. We need have, yeah, we, you still you have one more fight. fight. Yeah. yeah. But it, 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 it sucks, man. Nobody wants, we don't want anybody to be, have any consequence that are, take him away for for why he's doing his leaving or or he's in his life we never know man it's a it's a it's a crazy sport right now as a with 40 years old I'm, i understand it more and i'm like i was so crazy why i did that you know i'm i'm beyond blessed to be 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 normal now having my own business talk having my kids you know <laughs> because yeah. it's sad it's sad the things we do when we're 20, 25, and then you get older and you're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. Well, a- after this, uh, Prangley wins a controversial decision that was cut short by an accidental eye poke. And, and he had been kind of considered the favorite coming in. Obviously you weren't, you'd coming off UFC. You obviously had some notoriety within, you know, the, within North America. Um, but Prangley was the Bodog middleweight champion and, and all that. So you talked about, you, you were aware of him. You definitely had kind of had him in your, your mind. Did you have a preference? Did you even spend any time thinking about between him and Falonico Vitali as far as who you would have rather fought between the two of them? To be honest, no. I, I knew more about Trevor because, uh, like I said, I, I got back to, to fight and Bulldog fight, and he was a champ of Bulldog fight on my way right. division. Right. And I was like, if, if I get to choose, if I get to fight Nico, I know I have a hard fight because I see this Hawaiian guy fighting forever. Right. I'm like, I know I'm going to have to fight two rounds, two straight rounds, no matter what. Then I got the notice that I was fighting Prankly, and all of a sudden changed everything in my mind. Look, this is my opportunity. You know, I'm fighting for Bulldog fight. Actually, I brought in by Bulldog, not for Strike Force. So Bulldog was using my fights, my contract to fight. Oh, yeah, okay. to fight okay. to fight into the Strike Force because they they got they they got together to, to do that. Yeah, event. they had they had a uh, pro- promotional agreement, a partnership, basically. Yeah. So like, man, okay. like you know what? What could be? 
better than this. And now I'm fighting the, 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 the title for the title. In my head, it was a title for Bulldog. And, uh, and actually, I got two and one because I wanted to fight the guy. And that night, he made my day, you know, because I got a strike force. And because of that, they brought me to fight in Japan. Okay, yeah, which you actually got, you answered a, a question that I'm going to get to in just a second. But so the, the Pringle fight goes a, a little bit longer, about two and a half minutes. The Salmon fight was under 30 seconds. Uh, so it goes a little bit longer, but 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 not a ton. It, it was like it was just it was simply it was your night. Uh, you, you weren't even really tested, and you end up finishing Prangley with a, a really solid right hand, followed by a couple knees right up the middle, and and that was all she wrote. So, how did it feel to win the tournament? And, and so convincingly, that it's got to be a, a huge highlight for you. It was. It was. Yeah. It was the the, the moment in my career. That was the, one of the most special moments in my career. Of course, was that and winning the championship in Japan. But then when everything started, like, you know what? This is it, you know? I'm here to stay, you know? I was like, a couple months ago, I couldn't win. And I lost, I, I, I lost for these two guys in UFC, got knocked out. But I got my together. This is where I belong. And now, from now on, I'm, I won't lose no more. And it was a really special moment, special night. I was very convinced that that I was I was going to win. I didn't think it was it would be that easy, to be honest. Not a not making a not saying my opponent was not tough. They were they were extremely tough, especially Trevor. Because uh, if you asked me a couple months earlier, I wouldn't I would say I don't know I can win that with that fight because he's a full package. Huge the guy's huge, big from South Africa and a great crazy wrestler. He cuts weight. He's a he more like a true five fighting one eighty five. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he's a big dude and very, very, very tough. So, and like you said, he was the champion of the organization that you were a part of. So, that you know, in some ways, it's got to be more satisfying to have beaten him rather than Vitali because Prangley was the guy in your division in your company. So. Um, but it, it was an amazing performance, very crowd pleasing. And you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, you were fighting for the belt. Well, you did get a very nice looking belt, uh, from strike force. I saw a picture w- uh, of you with it. Do you still have that, that belt? Yes, I do. It's, it's, it's in my house. It's uh, my house. It's in my gym. It's here. It's okay. Still, yeah. Uh, I have it here. I have a picture here. I can send the picture. I have yeah. the- so you send me a picture and I'll, I'll tweet it and post it on Instagram because it's a nice looking belt. I, it was, I felt kind of bad because uh, Alistair Overeem won the heavyweight title that night and he got kind of one of those old school kind of kickboxing looking belts. And and then you get that really nice looking belt. <laughs> I felt bad for for Reem. I'm like, man, I would have been like, no, nah, I want I want the one Santiago got. <laughs> yeah, send me that picture. I, I would I would love to see that. Yeah, listen, I hang it here together with my. Uh... My Japan in my gym and and Kamaru Kamaru Yuzman also ah. yeah he also we hanging his belt here on at the gym I was okay. in the picture for sure. All right, well, th- so this was the question you kind of answered, but Frank Shamrock he's on commentary. He's the middleweight champion at that time. Very impressed by you, and you know, kind of made a comment about you know, man, I guess I got a new contender to deal with. I wanted to ask why you didn't stay with Strikeforce. That was this was your only time in Strikeforce, but it sounds like you were fulfilling Bodog fights on your contract. And then I, I assume that ran out and you went to Sengoku after that. Yeah. The, uh, the fight we offered Bodog and my manager tried to, to make that fight. Uh, Shamrock didn't want to make this fight. Okay. So yeah, it was sort of uh, Alan Goy's 
I don't know if you know him, but uh, yeah, 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 Pride veteran, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. He was trying to fight also an organization because he's from California too. He has some beef against Hamarar. It seemed like everybody from California had some sort of beef against Frank. Yeah, so Frank, <laughs> but Frank didn't want any business with me, and and because I was, I was, I was supposed to fight the Japanese dude, Yuki Sasaki. That's, that's irony is that you end up fighting him in your next fight, which we'll get to in just a second. But that's the the irony of this is he you end up not facing him in the tournament, but then he's your next fight once you after this after this night. Yeah. So yeah. So never happened. Shamrock denied the fight. He didn't want to fight, and we gave him a couple months. I mean, a couple weeks actually, because then the Japanese organization just. Uh, Ask for a fight, you know, because there was a time Pride finished. Yep, Pride was done at this point. Yeah, Pride was done on that point, and they mer and they had two events, and they split on K1 Heroes. Uh, Heroes, I yeah, yeah, there was one called like Yaranoka or something like that. And they kind of they 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 were kind of we had a few different promotions that tried to take the place of Pride in in Japan. Yeah, so it was that one, uh, Heroes and Sengoku. Right. Right. So they were they was they were doing the first event and they want to see that fight and I was like yeah that's I started a fight because I wanted to be in Japan so that's my opportunity. So yeah. I didn't I didn't want to talk anymore about I mean with the with the strike force I'm like okay I'm the content if they want me to fight I'm sure. Yeah, they have your number if they want you to fight. So all right. Well, you, you go on. You had a very successful run in Sengoku. I mean, that's you know as great as the one night tournament in Strike Force was. You know, if if you're going to be remembered for anything, it's got to be that run in Sengoku. You you won there. You won. Uh, I think it was like nine of your next ten fights, and and the only fight you lost there, you actually uh, got on from Ahmed Kaladov. You got uh, got uh, revenge in your very next fight after that. So, uh, you know, you win there. Their middleweight title. You also won a one night middleweight tournament for them as well. So maybe you're the the king of the one night middleweight tournaments. Um, then after retiring, you go on. You coach. You mentioned the Black Zillions, which was run by Glenn Robinson, who you don't know this, but Glenn. I actually worked for Glenn for a while. Um, he would, yeah, part of his management. Yeah, I was uh, as part of his management company. Um, authentic, uh, I think it was Authentic Sports Management. I uh, yeah, I did I did PR for them for for a while. And he was a really good guy. Really, you know, he had made his money off the iron tool bridge uh, or iron, iron bridge tools. Yeah. And so I know that was kind of all married together and, you know, obviously may, may he rest in peace and very sad that we lost him a, a couple years ago unexpectedly, but um, you know, you, you end up with a very successful career. You got your own gym now. So uh, tell us kind of what you've got going on, what fighters you're working with and, you know, plug whatever you want, social media, just just let the listeners know what you're what you got going on right now. Yeah, but basically 2015, uh, unfortunately, the gym uh, Black Zilla was done. I decided to go myself back to jiu-jitsu community. Uh, that was something that I missed when I have to start uh, start fighting jiu-jitsu uh, MMA. So now I'm, I'm I opened my gym in 2016. I'm here in Boynton Beach, Florida. Uh, we call Excel Jiu-Jitsu. You can find us on the online excelbjj.com. Uh, so far, it's been almost. We're going for the fifth year. We're successful. Uh, we're here to stay. Right now, as a coach, I'm just uh, working with uh, Kamaru Usman and Tyler Ray. He fights in uh, RFA. Okay. Yeah. 
So as okay. far as like uh, professional fighters, that's the the only thing I'm doing right now. But I'm I'm very busy with my gym, and I'm and I'm glad that I done what I did in my life. But now I'm just on different page now. Okay, awesome. Well, I I got one more question I want to ask, and then we'll let you go. Uh, looking back, you know, with all the accomplishments, making it, you know, having two separate runs in the UFC. You, you, it sounded like your dream was to get to Japan, and you fought in, in Sengoku very, very successfully. Where does the, the Strike Force tournament win rank amongst the biggest moments in your career? I was just, was a starting point. That was, that was my reborn. That's when I started. Everything else we had before I was just a kid, you know, going with the flow. But that was the most important accomplishment that I, that I had. I mean, together with the Sengoku chain, but that's... That's when I count as a professional fighter and uh, retire as a fighter when I, when I won the, the Sengoku Championship, you know. That was the most important thing. And that's how I finished, too. Because when I, I, when I got back from, Uf, from Japan to UFC, I didn't want to fight at all. I wasn't even trained. So I didn't give a shit. I hate okay. UFC. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate that. That that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, your rebirth with that tournament win, it you know launches you into the stratosphere, so to speak. And uh, appreciate your accomplishments within within the sport. But George, uh, you're a busy man. But I appreciate you taking the time to join us on on Inside the Hexagon, giving us this great insight. And uh, yeah, best of luck. And and don't forget to send me that picture. For sure, man. For sure, I will send it right now. Thank you. Thank you so much, Phil. Thanks for the time too. It was a pleasure talking to you. All right, I want to thank my very special guest, George Santiago, for joining us for today's episode. I really enjoyed connecting with him. I've never spoken with him before, so it was great to uh, to kind of get to know him, and I, I look forward to maybe doing more with him in the future. But very interesting guy. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. And he did send me the photos of his Strike Force belt. He also sent one of his Sengoku belt, as well as a photo that's got his Strike Force title and one of uh, Kamaru Usman's titles, uh, his, one of his UFC welterweight belts as well. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at Hexagon Pod uh, and on Instagram at Inside the Hexagon Pod. Uh, you can check us out on both those and I will post those photos this week. But really, really good stuff. Hope that you enjoyed that. Uh, coming up, we are going to be checking out Strike Force at the Dome. This is headlines by Bob the Beast Sap versus Yan the Giant Norte. There's an appearance by George Masvidal, but beyond that, not a whole lot of recognizable names on that card. Maurice Smith, the former UFC heavyweight champion, makes his return uh, to MMA. So we discuss all of that. Not a great card overall, but very, very interesting. Me and Josh really have fun kind of delving into the ugly part. Uh, of putting to, putting events together and sometimes what results uh, come from that. Get into Bob the Beast Sap a lot. So there's a lot of interesting stuff on there. So make sure that you subscribe and check us out on that. After that, we're going to be going into a great conversation with gorgeous George Garcia of MMA Junkie Radio. We talk about Strike Force's talent influence on the UFC and Bellator. Some really cool stories shared by George during that uh, episode. So that's going to be a really good one. After that, we're going to get into Strikeforce Shamrock versus Lee, one of the pivotal events in the early part of Strikeforce's history. Definitely going to be worth checking out. And then the week after that, we talk with the man himself, Kung Lee. So that's going to be a great conversation as well. So lots of really good stuff coming up. May have a bonus episode coming up soon as well. Uh, so make sure, again, that you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. But we appreciate the support. 
Hope that you've taken the time to rate and review us. If not, please do so on however you listen to us, especially Apple Podcasts, helps others find the show. But we would really appreciate anything you can do on that front. Uh, let your friends know. Anybody that's interested in MMA uh, should should be interested in this show, I would hope. So make sure that you, you, you share and let people know about it. But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset again. We appreciate all the support. Hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy. We will see you soon. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.